the Pro Wrestling Stories Podcast. Welcome to the Pro Wrestling Stories Podcast, the show where we take your favorite articles on ProWrestlingStories.com. We bring them to life in the form of audio. You can listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts and follow Pro Wrestling Stories on Facebook at Pro Wrestling Stories and on Twitter PWS underscore official. I'm Chris Toplak. He's Corey Rivard. Today's episode is brought to you by Ico Pro. Do you, do you remember Ico Pro? I remember it in the eyes of a child and thinking like this Ico Pro and WBF thing. It was it just looked like wrestlers who didn't do anything, like just wrestlers who stood there lifting weights. I didn't understand why that would be there and just wanted it to get off the screen. Why would I possibly care about that? One of Vince's failures, I mean, there's yeah. certainly a couple of them, but this has to be near, near the top of the list. So Ico Pro Integrated Conditioning Program. It was a line of bodybuilding supplements. To show you how much I actually paid attention to this, I remember a <laughs> line or a product, I think it was called Colossus. And if I do recall correctly, Lex Luger actually would make it with skim milk, three and a half or four scoops. He'd blend it together, and he said it was delicious. I took his word for it. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's sad. It's amazing that you know that. (laughs) It's really sad, actually. It's like everybody's walking around with this great knowledge or robotics (laughs) or science, and here I am going, well, did you know that Lex Luger drinks skim milk and IcoPro? And yeah, it's pretty ridiculous, but it does tie into... Inquisitive minds need to know. (laughs) It it does tie into today's program, and it features a wrestler closely associated with it. His name... Lex Luger, he was part of WBF Body Stars. If you remember that, I think he was actually the host of that or one of the hosts. Yeah, that's right. Today, it is the Lex Express in the failed Lex Luger experiment. Hulkamania had run its course, and Vince McMahon was on the hunt for a new hero who could defy all odds. Cue Lex Luger in the Lex Express. So that is the article today. The author is Cy Powell, editor JP. You can follow Cy on Twitter at SIPowell1 for all of his information. A great article he produced here. All right, let's get to the article here. Uh, In the 1980s, obviously, as all of these articles begin, the (laughs) on-screen charisma of Hulk Hogan and the -the behind-the-camera creative genius of Vince McMahon dominated the world of professional wrestling. The hype of Hulkamania from the original WrestleMania in 84 running into Hogan's last match at WrestleMania 8. Remember his final match at WrestleMania 8? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and then I think it was uh, WrestleMania 9, was it not? Yeah, WrestleMania 9. Yeah, yeah, he had another one there. I think he's still wrestling today. So um, (laughs) uh, it was like nothing the business had ever seen before, making both men as well as McMahon's WWF promotion very wealthy. As the early 90s came upon us, things started to change. The superhero persona of the Hulkster began to wear thin. Seeing Hogan defy all odds and inevitability beat the, inevitably beat the latest supervillain again and again and again, grew very tired. Yes. Hogan himself was more interested in trying his hand in Hollywood and disappeared after his farewell match with Sid Justice at WrestleMania 8 in 92, leaving a big hole in the WWF main event picture. The Ultimate Warrior was put back in this role again, <laughs> and yet did not live up to expectations. Steroids. As we all know. Steroids. Steroids. Should use Echo Pro. Yeah. Uh, Randy Savage, uh, my personal favorite, also mm-hmm. had a run with the title. Still, despite his high standards of work rate and intensity, 
Savage could not deliver the same hysteria Hogan had supplied several years previously because the world is wrong. Well, you know what? I still think that he had a great run. And many have actually claimed, and I have gone back to look at the numbers as well, too. Numbers did not really dip that much when he was on top. Right. I mean, how, how he was, to me, the most exciting wrestler there was. And I think if WrestleMania 8 was kind of like almost my favorite time. Yeah, was, that was, was a great time, right? That was the perfect age for it. And, the, you know, well, it was exciting. Yeah, and uh, Randy Savage, as you noted, in my humble opinion, the most charismatic wrestler in the history of the business. Without a doubt. If there was one guy, if there was one guy even close to that now, it'd be it'd be a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. There's not. There's not. No. Matt, Har- Matt Hardy can kind of touch on it, actually. Yeah, there's a couple that certainly can, but Randy Savage was of the elite. I think very few have ever come close to that level. No, exactly. He was wrestling in the same way Tom Cruise is like... He breathes acting. He just he, he came out of the vagina just acting. <laughs> Randy Randy Savage was just coming out of the vagina, ready to ready to rumble, you know. And Tom Cruise coming out of the vagina, running as well as he tends yes, to do in most of his roles, running diagonally <laughs> with a tooth in the middle of his face. All right. Eventually, after a mediocre attempt at movies, Suburban Commando is terrific. <laughs> Hogan was brought back in early 93. This was a much different Hulkster due in part to the early 90s steroid scandal. Gone was his superhero physique. Where's the actor pro there? Uh-huh. Hogan controversially won the WWF title at WrestleMania 9 and later dropped it back to the vast 565-pound Yokozuna in the summer of 93. He disappeared again. Yeah, but who does he pass the torch to, right? Because we talked about WrestleMania 9 recently, and it seems as though he kind of passed it to Yokozuna, but not officially. And really, we needed somebody to fill the void at this point, right? Yeah, we have the we have the uh, we have the the monster is created. Yokozuna is a great, great monster, Uh, but they needed the Hulk Hogan figure or the hero to cheer for. Absolutely. it looks like they created a placeholder here with uh, with Lex. Ooh, who could it be? So around this time frame, Lex Luger was working towards his release from WCW. So upon Ric Flair leaving for WWF, he you know, crowned WCW World Heavyweight Champion and was also a four-time United States Champion. And for a brief period, he was also a member of the Four Horsemen. So he had a great run in WCW prior to joining WWF, right? Are you kind of familiar with his work in Jim Crockett promotions along with WCW? I'm, I'm familiar now, but as a kid, it was... Uh, I don't even think Winnipeg had access to WCW programming. No, I don't think so. I think you would have had probably AWA if it was yeah. around during that time, and then also probably WWF. Yeah, so it was. I'd, I'd get Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, so I knew who he was from afar, and I knew who all these... The fun thing was I'd have WWF here and then you'd have like all these distant guys that like you read about, but you have no access to. And then eventually you see this guy come in and you're like, that's that guy from the magazine. Yeah, that's he, that's all I knew of him at the time. And he had the look. The one thing. Definitely you know, had the look. I basically, until WCW folded, you look at him and you think, okay, yeah, you look like a million bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then uh, <laughs> he, to me, is uh, when you watch modern or current interviews with wrestlers he to me just it it, it strikes me so hard every time yeah. i see him it's just i look at him now and i look at him then and it's just it's it's such a striking difference it's a, it's like he's lost in this little body 
Yeah, it's a contrast for sure. I mean, going from the total Such package contrast. to a man that was, you know, bound to a wheelchair for many years, I still believe that he is from time to time. It is yeah. really tough to watch because you look at Lex Luger as one of the best bodies in the history of professional wrestling, a man that was, right. you know, the total package. He was invincible. He was, in this case, the Lex Express, you know, as part of that. But then, of course, right. you see him just degenerate over time due to many things. I believe it was more so just steroids, probably HGH, drug usage along with everything else. Right, right, right. And, and, and he even claims that most of his selling point was his yeah. physique, right? So it was. <laughs> once that melts off of him, he's such a shell of a person now. He's, he seems like a sweet guy, though, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially after yeah. everything, and we won't dive into that here, but everything that went on with right. Elizabeth, and I believe he yeah. conquered his demons. Uh, he got close with Sting again, Steve Borden, who's a wonderful, wonderful, very giving human being who I think took him under his wing and said, we can heal you. We can build right. you back up again. And I believe they did that from a spirituality standpoint. Found, found God. Found yeah. God as well. Yeah. So talking about his body, this is actually mm. a great transition because originally Lex Luger didn't join WWF, but rather he was a part of McMahon's new venture, the WBF. That was the World uh, Bodybuilding Federation. That was the one that we referred to earlier where they would just stand and pose. And I would think, uh, now what? No body slam, no clotheslines. What's going on here? Ah, yeah, exactly. Um, Strange time. But they but they had gimmicks. True. The bodybuilders had gimmicks. They would be like a guy dressed as a vampire. But it's so weird. In, retro, in retrospect, I want to see that. I guess. Like, you know, there was like the beach butt guy with like the surfboard and like they all had personas. So now, it, could you even imagine that being pitched in current life? Like, because fitness is even is bigger now than ever. True. And uh, imagine if there was this just like. I don't even know how that would work. Like a guy poses with a surfboard and is it trying to outflex the vampire guy? Vince, what's happening? Vince in the back. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. Some good. Exactly. That's some good. I don't shit. understand. I don't understand. <laughs> so I don't at the time, Vince McMahon was putting out a regular TV show, and he was really building towards the first pay-per-view event, which boggles my mind, Corey. How would they actually put this on pay-per-view, and people would pay <laughs> to watch it? Could you even imagine? For what? I mean, I guess it would be an evolving storyline somehow. Yeah. Like, what would that be? What would they like, charge for it, too? 30 bucks to watch a bunch of grown men pose? Really? Yeah. Maybe maybe the guy, like claims that he can't flex his right arm because it's in a cast. <laughs> Rip, rips the cast off, and he actually has huge biceps underneath. Oh, flex. man. So at that time, Lex was actually one of the hosts of the show, and he was looking to be a significant part of this. Then he suffered an unfortunate injury in a motorcycle crash, and by that time, he was ready to return. Uh, the WBF had already closed its doors, making huge losses and going out of business. Uh, Vince has achieved many successes, Corey, but did he seriously figure that this WBF even stood a chance for success at all? I mean, it was what, was it late 80s or early 90s? Early 90s. Early 90s. Weird time, maybe. You know, he still suffered from Midas touch syndrome, I guess. Probably thought anything he did would turn to gold, maybe. I don't, I don't Not know. Not so much, right? And then, I'm no bodybuilder. <laughs> I don't know. It was around this time, by the way, he debuted at the 1993 Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble, as he was managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan, the greatest of all time, and dubbed the Narcissist, where he would pose in front of mirrors. And really to play off the crash, if you recall, he started utilizing a running forearm smash as a finisher 
And WWF really at the time focused on the metal plates in his forearm. It was a straightforward yet effective finisher. I, I liked it actually at the time. Oh, me too. Me too. And there was a mystery behind it for a while. He was knocking people out all the time and no one knew why. Right. And then they got to the bottom of it and then they discovered that there were metal plates in later. And despite the narcissist gimmick being close to Luger's real-life personality, the character failed to resonate with fans. And with crowds and wrestler physiques shrinking in 1993, McMahon turned to Lex Luger and really with the intention of positioning him as the red, white, and blue babyface hero. Corey, do you think that this narcissist character would have taken off if given more time? I think so. I, I loved the character. Me too. I was like the, uh, the, like the self-involved character. Sean Michaels is or the Mr. Perfects or whatever, like these perfect specimen guys. Yeah. Uh, I think that could have gone all the way. The model, Rick Martel. Who is, like that, by the way, so genre. criminally underrated is Rick of Martel, course. who should be in of the Hall course. of Fame. Of course, exactly. Uh, and I, there's always there's always storylines that these people can get into. So I think yeah. that could have gone a long way. Not that transitioning in, into American Hero was such a bad plan no it kind of it worked ish for a little while yeah but overnight right. though going from the narcissist who was this definitive egotistical heel to the true babyface hero that was supposed to be the embodiment of america and patriotism and replacing hulk hogan you know we'll get into this later but just seems so rushed rushed but i think the delivery in the most epic way possible they turned him heel to babyface in an instant and you, you were just like, yeah, because he, he just, the, the epic way he walks onto that ship yes. is just, that is, how, how could you get any more epic than that, right? That is true. Right. Um, so with Yokozuna still as his champion, McMahon moved forward with Lex Luger's transformation. Here comes the Yokozuna body slam challenge on the USS Intrepid. Yes. I love it. All right, yeah. Um, on July 4th, 1993, America's birthday, as fans were regularly reminded, the Japanese monster Yokozuna issued a body slam challenge. Note he wasn't actually Japanese and rather American. Be like if they pitched The Rock as uh, healing from Tokyo. It was a right? little strange, right? I mean, especially years later, you look at him and you think, he does not look Japanese whatsoever. No. But I digress. That's fine. They position him as Japanese. This, I guess the sumo angle is, yeah. you know, that's, that's where they're going with that. Uh, filmed on the deck of the battleship USS Intrepid, WWF superstars would attempt to body slam Yokozuna. Numerous names tried from NFL players, a barely five-foot jockey. Which was Tonkas. weird, by the way. Did you did you see that? The barely five-foot jockey? This is in the long version, too. This was over an hour okay. long that I watched. The, the one that we're watching is like five, six minutes long. The one I watched right. was an hour, and I forgot that there was... Uh, like a five-foot jockey that came out, and he slaps him in the butt. And I'm like, what is this? Why did I forget <laughs> I, about this? I did not see that. That should have made the, the shortcut. I of think. course. Uh, Tatanka was there, Scott and Rick Steiner. Oh, Crush, yeah. Crush, who basically basically could have body slammed him if he didn't He's giant. down. But <laughs> yeah. He, he is giant. He's yeah. like 6'6". Six, six. We'll see it in the video, but when he came out, I was like, this is the guy. He's yeah. gigantic. Maybe Crush should have been the guy. You know, mm. maybe they give crush that push. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Bob Backlund, all right. <laughs> uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, Jim Duggan, and more all attempted this feat, but were unsuccessful. A selection of American athletes also tried their hand, including stars from the NFL, but Yokozuna stood tall. Yes, they did. Uh, <laughs> uh, suddenly, Todd Pettengill yes. points to the sky as an incoming helicopter coming comes flying down. 
Lex Luger appears in jeans and an American flag shirt. So before we start this, Todd Pendingill has weaved his way into every episode, I believe, to date. This is insanity. He's an icon. He's he an is icon. an icon. I love it. So uh, I wanted to Another mention. Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, but I mentioned this briefly. I watched this entire thing this morning, three hours in length. Uh, the Lex Express, the, you can find that on the WWE Network, but I specifically watched all the unaired footage here. It was amazing. I was so sucked in. I have to tell yeah. you, the two individuals I wish I actually body slammed them, Scott Steiner. When the Steiners came out, I'm telling you, in the 90s as a tag team, in WWF specifically, I was one of the biggest Steiner Brothers fans. I loved them so much. And also Crush. Uh, again, Rush. such a striking build. You look at him and you think, "Oh, he can do it easily." But again, and if you if you watch this, he basically almost does. But then he's like, "Oh, got a little too far. I'm gonna put him back down." There this was Alexis show. <laughs> there was also a football player that became really close to body slamming him. I forget the name, <laughs> but like he literally <laughs> lifted him up up, and I thought. Okay, wow, this is going to be the guy. He, they, I'm not supposed to do this? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, I'm not supposed to. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, let's put him back down. So if you want to follow along, you can search for it on YouTube. Now, don't be surprised that it took place on July 5th because, of course, that was Monday Night Raw, but it was July 4th, as they reminded us 19,000 times. You can probably find it, and it is 5 minutes and 44 seconds in length. So what Corey and I are going to do is watch this, provide our commentary here, and, and go for that with you. So if you want to count us down, we can both click it at the same time. I'm hoping that I can avoid any uh, <laughs> advertisements. It looks like I'm good here. But whenever you want, your, count us down. We'll both click block, play. Bro. Oh, get yeah. No, I, I like the ads. Give me, like the ad, the give ads. me the ICO Pro. You're a mystery to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should still be trying to sell that on these wrestling commercials. All right. Uh, okay. Three, two, one, go. Uh, here, we, here we go. There's Crush. There's Man. Oh, Crush. He's huge. And I love Macho Man. He is the greatest brand ambassador, in my opinion, ever. Absolutely. There's See, Crush could have crushed. They were looking to figure out what to do with Crush, right? Like, push him. Brian Adams, by the way, he was close friends with uh, Undertaker, Bret Hart, Randy Savage, Mr. Perfect, you name it. Unfortunately, passed away. Yeah, yeah. Always a fun tidbit. That Look at Macho's fun. gear, dressed up in the red, <laughs> white, and blue. I love that outfit. This is one of the most epic things they ever did. I think they said they were they're going to do it on Ellis Island, possibly at one point. Oh, cool! They're looking at they're looking at Central Park at one point. Look at oh, Crush See? picked him up. Yeah, he had him. He just was like, oh, I'm going to get fired if I slam this guy. They cut so much out of this. I just watched the uncut version this morning. There's so much more to it. Now it just cuts to Macho. And before that, he was saying, ooh, I'm going to do it for the fans. <laughs> and Bobby's out there. Bobby Heenan is saying, nobody can do it. You're great. You're a multi-time world champion, intercontinental champion. You're not going to do it. Oh, Yokozuna just pushed him. Can't be done. Can't be done. He didn't even come close. No. Todd Pettingill in the background, He his socks are pulled up a little too high. Is, is Yokozuna wearing shoes? I heard the mat was on fire that day. Oh, yeah. He's wearing, it looks like flip-flops. No, yeah, flip-flops there with socks. It's a weird look, but he's pulling it off well. <laughs> As sumo wrestlers do. Those those upper deck spots are so look like great spots. Those guys on the airplane over there, 
this this looks so fun when i was watching it this morning i thought i wish i was there imagine if we were both there do they sell beer there you think do you see anyone with a beer here comes the helicopter by the way i think they cut it out but the crowd was chanting for hogan when i was watching this earlier in the morning oh my god really they thought it was hogan obviously they thought that was hogan of course they thought it was hogan because who else would it be because of course they had the king of the ring match then hogan disappeared so they thought okay on America's birthday, it's going to be Hulk Hogan, the man that bleeds red, white, and blue. But it wasn't. We were swerved here. It was the new Hulk Hogan. <laughs> there he is. From a distance. I think this works. He says he, he was so nervous here, which, of course, if any of this went poorly, then everything's ruined. But uh, I think this works. They're like, this is the narcissist coming. Okay. But he's coming to save the day. I think this works so well. I love the jeans. No belt, of course. Oh, man, look at that guy. Cowboy boots, which he claimed later on, we'll get to that, that were very slippery in the ring. Right. (laughs) He pushes Bobby Heenan for no reason. Bobby's actually trying to shake his hand. He just pushes him because, remember, he used to manage him. Bobby was this guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where he turns into a babyface. Yeah. It's like, he he just broke his neck. Bobby's (laughs) That's how many people turn into a babyface, pushing Bobby Heenan. That's That's how you do it. Oh, he gets into the ring. And Luger's legit. He's a big boy. He's like, what, 6'4", 6'5"? That's how they yeah, build him as. Yeah. I mean, I think legit yeah. he's probably about 6'3". Right. Todd Pentagill again. Nobody liked to wear belts back then. <laughs> I think that's what strikes me. <laughs> Holy Todd Pentagill, that is rough, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Lex is getting into it. He's basically saying, you guys are scum. You're a blood-sucking leech, Mr. Fuji. Nothing's wrong with America. <laughs> this works. Prior to this, I don't know if you saw this, but at one point Yokozuna got hungry and started eating rice, a giant bowl of rice in the <laughs> ring. And Macho's like, enough of this, okay? I'm getting hungry too. Like dur- during the long one? The long yeah, movie? yeah. You got to watch it. It is hilarious. I was so enthralled with watching it again. It was such nostalgia. I loved it. Throws Mr. Fuji out of the ring. I would be a hot mat. <laughs> I don't like this version. They cut too much out. I don't know that I need much more of this. <laughs> oh, oh, look at this guy. Oh, here we go. Throws him into the corner. There's the forearm. Turns around. Body slam. Freaks out on the Yoko. Thing. Yoko just wants this over. Like, finally. He was out there for an, a legit hour. Like, it would yeah. be so hot. He's probably, he's like, I'm going to get burnt. I'm going to start peeling. By the way, I didn't yeah. think that that was a full, like, so we're watching the replay here. That was not a full yeah. body slam. No. Oh. No, I don't think there there was never a full body slam. Not even, like, well, that's, well, that's pretty close. But <laughs> the, is it the WrestleMania? He does another one. That yep. was not very good either. I just want to point out, the Steiners are always the two that are relegated to lifting somebody on their shoulders. They did that with Sting. They did that with Luger. I think they've done that right. with many others as well, too. They're just there <laughs> as the supporters. Bret Hart, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Are we still synced up here? You're at the, you're at the, uh, the, at the replay here. Yeah, I'm at American the replay. Waving. I'll throw him down again. And then he, again. I love how he pushes Earl out of the way. Like, get out of my way. I'm going to the top rope to celebrate. <laughs> Hey, he delivers. He was super. He was super nervous. He said, and he delivered. And 
That was fun. That was, great. That was actually yeah, that a lot of fun. fun. Rewatching that brought back so many good memories. Uh, and especially the one that I'm going to dive into next, which is the Lex Express. So I, I don't know how much you remember about this, but it was a first-class coach, which, by the way, I, I received a tour in this three-hour slot that I watched. I watched everything, <laughs> man. And it's painted red, white, and blue. It's nice. It's dated at the time, but it looked nice. And it had the WWF logo on it. You couldn't miss that. You couldn't miss, miss the Lex Express logo as well. And it was part of the Call to Action campaign, which, by the way, as I noted, I watched an hour of footage from that, including interviews, various visits, you name it. It was there. Well, you have to. We were, we were, we were Canadians. We didn't get any actual live Lex Express time, so... You got to dive in in, uh, in retrospect, right? Well, yeah, because all the clips were just aired on Monday Night Raw, and I think some of them were 26 seconds. And I thought, that's not giving me enough, Lex. I want to see more. I never, never came to Winnipeg, never went to London, I'm pretty sure. No, never. We didn't get any Lex Express, unfortunately. We did not. They were going to all the big cities across America. And, of course, yeah. Lex, in theory, he had an incredible look. And he had the evil foreign monster to defeat. And, most importantly, Vince McMahon was pulling out all the stops to get his hand-picked successor to Hulk Hogan over as the new hero. So naturally, to promote this big match, he went on tour. He was kissing babies, shaking hands, and of course, yes, the infamous Lex Express bus, which I discussed. And it was the call-to-action campaign, and really what that call-to-action was were really two elements here. It was a match against Yokozuna, which of course he was granted, but also patriotism in America. There's nothing wrong with America Let's be proud of our country, which I'm all behind as well, too. Yeah, I've never fell for the Patriot guys. That's not really my my thing. But someone has to be that guy all the time. And you know, Lex did, did, did all right for a while. Yeah, he did okay. I mean, I think he did the best that he could in that position, as most others, if they were thrown in there, would have they done a better job or not? That remains to be seen. But the one thing he did earn was that main event slot. SummerSlam 1993 against Yokozuna. Where did it take place, by the way? The Palace of Auburn Hills has been torn down. I've been there many times for wrestling, UFC, and Pistons games. Really? I remember that name so clearly from being a kid. They did a lot there, I think, hey? They did, and then they tore it down. And it's unfortunate because it was kind of out in the boonies, so to speak. Like, it was Auburn Hills. Took a little ways to get there. Now they're Little Caesars Arena. It's in the heart of... Detroit. So, yeah, they're going to get more traffic there, but I still have a lot of fond memories at the Palace. Little Caesars Arena. Not quite the same ring to it. No, not quite. So, what we saw was the Lex Express traveling from one town to another. He would meet fans outside of his tour bus, and essentially it was just to drum up support for his upcoming title match. Now he was carrying the moniker Born in the USA, stolen, by the way, trademark from Bruce Springsteen. I'm surprised he didn't come calling there. <laughs> Bigger fish to fry. Yeah, it's true. So he did not want to sleep or travel on Lex Express coach all the time, which I do understand. It's a little bit confining. There's only so much you can do. There were some videos of him just playing cards and you know drinking IcoPro. And he probably thought, enough of this. I want to go see my family or stay in hotels. So, yes, in the biggest push of his professional career, he chose to fly to certain cities and stay in hotels while meeting up uh, with the bus and the fans there. So, nevertheless, Vince still promoted Lex as the next big thing in the American hero via commentary. Now, my question to you, Corey, if you're Vince McMahon and you catch wind of, okay, he doesn't want to ride on the bus all the time, would you pull the plug already? I have an opinion on this. 
Uh, I mean, I, in later interviews, he kind of says that he he wanted to stay in hotels because he wanted to take care of his body, and sure, that's fair. They're they're selling him that way. He flew to his family's to see his family a couple times. You know, sure. Uh, I, I mean, he had a reputation kind of be, being like this ahead of time anyway, so I don't Dream know. Madonna sometimes. You, sh- you should have known this ahead of time, so he's probably re- ready for that, I guess. Still, that you know, but we're, we're both uh, Lex, uh, we, we make excuses for Lex. Apologists, bit. yes. Lex sympathizers, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I can see his side. I wouldn't just bash him for that completely. True, but you know what? The one thing, the counter argument I would have to that, when I was seeing this bus, he had recliners in the back. He had not the greatest beds, but they were, you know, actually, you know, sofas that he could sleep on. And it was funny. I said to my wife, you know what? I actually think as crazy as it would drive me, if I had this big push relying on it, I would just commit to this bus. No questions asked, especially if I was, you know, going to the main event almost instantly. I'd say, yeah, sign me up. It will be time away from my family. I may be uncomfortable. Frequent stops just to stretch or stop by the gym. But you know what? I'm all on board. You're right. If this is like your dream come true, you yeah. might as well just go the whole way for it. But who knows? Maybe they were offering it to him and he just took it. Maybe he wasn't forcing them into it. You know, if they were offering him a hotel, he probably was you know, stay in a hotel. If they're offering to fly him back to his family. I just, just yeah, I just hope he back. wasn't in a scenario where he said, you know what? I'm going to stay at a hotel. You just drive the bus because there was that driver that I had sympathy for because he was a great guy. <laughs> and you see him in this documentary and legitimately he's cleaning the front of it because it's covered in bugs. So he's there with like a squeegee cleaning it off. And it's so this guy, I think his name was Tony, is just going to drive on his own. And Lex is <laughs> saying, hey, I'm just going to go stay at a Marriott. You're on your own, Tony. That's not fair either. And still, the bus driver didn't have much of a bad gig either. None of these are bad gigs. No, they're not. Paid to drive a bus by yourself across America? Sure. Why not? We're going to have the CNC Express coming up at some point chris and Corey express uh, it's gonna be like a broken us. down minivan but <laughs> yeah we're not allowed to leave our houses chris we can't do that. <laughs> that's true so we'll do it all via uh, the magic of the internet like zoom webinar exactly <laughs> yeah that's as, as far as an express as we're gonna go uh now moving on here a fan showing support for a rising hero not named Lex so meanwhile, uh, the uh, Brett, Brett the Hitman Hart was gaining real pure emotion from the fans. He was my Hart guy at that aside. time, by the way. He's still your guy, I think, right? He is. He's still my guy. See, so you were like, you were a big Brett guy. I was a big Sean guy. Ooh. I always. So we're, we're kind of on opposing sides. Mm. I, was, I was Sean and Macho for my whole life. See, and I was Brett and Macho. I was probably Brett Macho Sting for most of okay. my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My sister was my sister was a Brett guy, so we we always had the friction in the house, especially at uh, Big Brett versus Sean events. Ooh. WrestleMania, yeah, but, WrestleMania twelve. I can't wait to break that down at some point where you talk about those opposing sides. Oh, let's chuck that on the old list. I've got a lot of free time right now. <laughs> Same. Uh, I'm very willing to watch WrestleMania twelve. We're recording this via via quarantine during the quarantine. Yeah. Which I hope uh, by the time you hear this is over. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, and if it's not, I mean, still be listening to this and support a great little podcast. Exactly. I've had so much time. I watched both Lex Luger, major major Lex Luger pay-per-views for the WWF during this time. I watched SummerSlam 93. Wow. And, Re- and WrestleMania. In, uh, in its entirety for both? <laughs> in, in its entirety, yes. Wow. Yeah, WrestleMania uh, 10 got, had two five-star matches, too. I mean, it had Brett and Owen. was great. SummerSlam 3 or 93 was brutal. Oh. Probably one of the worst SummerSlams ever. 
Oof. But WrestleMania 10 was that was especially coming off of WrestleMania 9, which we both kind of liked, but is still a joke, kind of. Yes. Yeah, WrestleMania 10. That's that's a fun time. Yeah, that's that is, that is a good time. Yeah. Um, and speaking speaking of which, uh, Bret Hart was getting pure emotion from the fans. Hart pushed aside for the main event picture by Yokozuna's title run, and, and Hogan's return in '93 was viewed with sympathy by some fans. Others admired his legitimate wrestling ability. At this time, he was feuding with Jerry Lawler. Kiss my feet. Kiss my feet. Uh, we arrive at SummerSlam '93, and again, I watched SummerSlam '93 yesterday. Lex Luger gets to be in the main event against Yokozuna. Bret Hart is in a match against Doink the Clown. Ugh, it's like, so turning that on was just like what a statement as to where they were putting him. They were not even trying to make him look like they were going to take care of him. No, He's and I Doink. and I wrote an article not that long ago where you're looking at who is Mr. SummerSlam, and the two contenders I came down to was Brock Lesnar and Bret Hart, like neck and neck, because Bret oh, had uh, hot, some of his best matches at SummerSlam. I mean, and he achieved. I think all of his titles at SummerSlam as well, too. He's won them all there. So many good Bret Hart matches. You're right. And, and to be honest with you, you know, he always toots his own horn and says that he's he elevates these matches. And got to give him credit on that on that horrible SummerSlam 93 bill. Somehow Bret versus Doink the Clown actually kind of rises to the top. It does. It's actually it's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. It, it, it's a good match. And then he goes against Lawler. Uh, and uh, in the same night or in the same match, if you remember that. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah. Um, all right, so we arrive at SummerSlam 93, entering into the hugely pushed main event with flags and patriotic music, ultimately won in a lackluster, thank you so much for that, uh, performance via countout. Ultimately won in a lackluster <laughs> performance via countout. Uh, now remember, championships cannot change hands in the WWF via countout, yet yeah. Luger was waving his flag as balloons and confetti filled the arena. It was bizarre. Yes. A celebration for a man who didn't even win the championship. So I watched this even this then, morning as well, too, by the way. And yeah, it, it, it doesn't get any more weird that he's celebrating as if he just won an Olympic gold medal. It's like, the title doesn't even change, Lax. Why? No. Even as a seven-year-old boy, I remember looking around the room and everyone was kind of like, what, what's happening? No kidding. Are we supposed to be happy about this? You know? And especially then when, like, championships really mattered. Like, they really mattered. Now they're kind of, they're a little more dime a dozen. But back then it was like, if you, you didn't get this thing that you've been building up to for months. Yeah. Like, that, it was it was unheard of. That was the most, like, set in stone championship t- turnover possible. And I, it didn't happen. No, and I made a few notes during the match, and I'm sure you picked these up too. So during the Japanese national anthem, I love Heenan, the the best heel. He goes, that's a good tune. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then how about this? Randy Savage is accompanied by Aaron Neville. I thought he was going to do I wanted him to, I don't know much, but I know I love you. And, and Bobby, when he's done uh, Aaron Neville singing the national anthem, Bobby goes, I like the Japanese version better. That was amazing. <laughs> Such a good line. And Vince, too, so over the top. He's like, and he's out there with Randy Savage. And he, when, when people press me, Vince is my favorite commentator ever. He's, he's so selling good. his own product, and he's selling it. He's so good. Uh, go his for it. commentating was one of, the, one of the main reasons it got over, I think. like He was selling his product, and he was just the excitement. He was, he was a P.T. Barnum, just like the excitement was beyond. You could not be excited. You know, I agree. Maybe that's why everyone got excited about Lex Luger winning by count out. You know, <laughs> you know, Vince was highly effective for generating that excitement. I always love it in front of this capacity crowd is what yeah. he would always say. Right. 
yeah, great monikers. Yeah, like capacity crowd. Who's not going to be excited hearing that yelled? You know? Yeah, it sold out. Uh, the one thing that I did point out here, uh, there was a sign. It was pretty ridiculous they showed it. Time to slaughter Yokozuna, and it was a pig. That was the sign. I was yeah. like, what? The, what is this? How did this even make it into the arena? It's a little bit barbaric. <laughs> That's uh, that's that's the patriotism speaking there. And then also Vince, I've never known an athlete to have this sort of support. And it's like, uh, how about Hulk Hogan? How about Macho Man? How about many others, Vince? Revisionist that history hyper- a little bit there, but I get he's just trying to generate excitement. The hyperbole doctor himself. Yes, and of course, Macho's out there. The Steiners, as I noted, they're always out there hoisting people on their shoulders. Tatanka's out there as well, too, which, by the way, Tatanka was awesome at that time. I was a big Tatanka fan. Oh, yeah. he was. In, it would have been cool if they made him the like the American hero, mm. you know, at that time. I liked him. Um, Lex also got he got the, the big carry on his shoulders thing. As you, you, you posted this morning. I assume you watched it this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Monday Nitro victory. Oh, my God. And everybody piles in there and carries him out of the ring. And he gets that a lot. And who's in there? The Steiners yet again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Except with much longer hair. You have uh, the long black hair and the ponytail. This is just pre-Big Pop Pump. Right. But that victory was earned. The celebration was earned. In that what point. a hell of a pop, by the way. Yeah, and do you know where that absolutely. took place? Palace of Auburn Hills. Oh, there it is. There it is. Love that spot. Uh, the organic cheers Bret Hart received grew louder mm. as the crowd reactions for the manufactured American he- hero Luger grew smaller. Vince McMahon had maybe one more chance with Lex at the company's biggest show of the year, Ooh. WrestleMania. Oh, WrestleMania 10, which WrestleMania you've watched. 10. And by the oh. way, I will say this, the greatest opening match in the history of WrestleMania was Brett versus right. Owen. I think you're right. I'm right. Jericho's right. Everyone yeah. says that. It so is, good. It's, it's perfect. And I always feel bad that a lot of Owen Hart's great victories in WWF, there's something slightly the off. Yeah. The loogie. Yeah. Just, there's just no way you can look at that and not think that. And that it goes all the way from the ring, all the way to the back with Todd Pettengill interviewing him. And it's still there. And yeah. you just want Todd to wipe it off or... Uh, yeah, you, it, you got a little something on your cheek. This is your moment. Like, why would you not have anybody wipe yeah. it off? Like, walking back through Gorilla, yeah. right? I would yeah. suspect he did that. There's another time that he, I guess he attacks Brett or something. It's something, and my sister and I always made fun of it. Or he, he his post-interview right after, he was like, that's why I kicked your leg into your leg. Oh, yes. Big, big jumble of words. He's like, but, I kicked your leg out of your leg or something. Oh, I think that's yeah, what it was. Yeah, like that. And uh, it's just all his great celebrations had like a little, a little caveat. Tainted, right? So, yeah, and, and of course, tainted. we had the the infamous ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. I mean, both of those matches yeah. that I just noted are five star affairs, legitimately. Yeah, the the Lex one, the both Yoko ones, not so much. No, it, unfortunately, not. Yeah. So it's pretty important to provide some context in terms of how we got here. So it was the 1994 Royal Rumble, if you remember this one. The WrestleMania title shot was up for grabs, and what happened was Lex Luger and Bret Hart both spilled over to the floor at the exact same time. There were conflicting opinions from the referees. It was determined, this is kind of strange, both men would receive separate title shots at WrestleMania 10. Now, as much as I love the matches, I just found it weird how Bret faces Owen, he loses to Owen, still faces Yokozuna later on in the evening, wins the World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, yeah. 
Did no one did no one uh, use that to his advantage later? Uh, he was bitter, of course, and they did but, feud throughout the summer of 1994. They had their incredible steel cage match at SummerSlam. Right, but did he use the, like, I beat the champion the night he yeah, won the Yeah, I beat Brett. He was bragging about it, oh, as he should. Right, right. That's great for any heel to have, is that you always want to have that advantage, right? Yeah, absolutely. So while they both got their arms raised, I went back and watched this, true, and I can confirm, Brett did receive a lot of reaction at the time. Right, okay. It was just a little That's bit more organic, I think, at that point. Because the the problem with Lex at the time is that it was very manufactured. With Brett, it was very organic. Yeah, literally coming from different uh, opposing ways of getting to the same spot, right? Yeah, and I think also with Brett, too, keep in mind, King of the Ring, he had that incredible series of three matches that were all all-star matches with Razor, Mr. Perfect, and Bam Bam. Yeah, he's at his prime and he's delivering every time at this at this era of his life right yeah so from really that 93 where he had the title ripped away at wrestlemania 9 up until this point he was gaining substantial momentum now wrestlemania 10 was also the first wrestlemania not to feature hulk hogan right so big shoes to fill mm. and and the last last macho man one i think oh definitely macho man, macho man versus crest yeah last, so uh, it's a shame because going back and watching everything i just want to note this one more time macho man was such a great announcer in my opinion some you know conflict this opinion and they have their own i thought he was such a great ambassador and announcer that i would have never let him go uh, listening to him talk is the whole point of loving macho man yeah he's just so <laughs> fun i loved him i loved him on on uh on talk but even then too when everybody's coming in all the athletes are trying to body slam him. he's like it's okay you're still my friend and he's putting out his <laughs> hand and i'm like this is so golden i love him so much <laughs> Oh, miss him. I know. I miss him all the time. That one still hurts. Uh, I always say George Carlin and Macho Man were the two that hit me the hardest. I'm wearing my Macho Man shirt right now. Oh, there you go. I got my Macho Man tattoo. No, I'm kidding. But uh, (laughs) Every weekend when we record this, I I, I make sure I'm wearing wrestling uh, gear, even though. So just picture that. Picture me in my wrestling underwear. Oh, boy. Every time I'm making sure I'm, I'm dressed up for no reason. No one can see me. So a lot. So so during one of our previous episodes, you're wearing the robe with no clothes for Ric Flair really? on the infamous better, plane ride from hell. It. Oh boy, <laughs> better believe it. I dress up, dress the part every time. So as we know, the first of the WWF title matches took place between Luger and Yokozuna. Mister Perfect was the special guest referee. Ultimately, Yokozuna retained via DQ. Now he was out of the title picture. He needed a reliable performance showcasing emotion and fury at being robbed of his title dream to regain momentum. But at the same time, he just couldn't muster it up with the backstage argument that ensued was really dominated more by the charismatic Mr. Perfect. Now, to put this into perspective, this is a note aside from this article. and We feature a lot of our notes aside from it. Perfect and Luger were supposed to feud. But Kurt, of course, he battled a lot of back injuries at this time. He was put out of commission, so Lex was then put with Crush instead. I wanted I wanted the perfect and Luger, but they, they fought as narcissist and perfect, right? Yeah, they did. So yeah, that was still fine, but I would have rather seen them after this where Mr. Perfect was going back to his heel tendencies. Right, 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 of course. And I don't think Luger undersold that background that backstage fight. He was he was furious, he looked scary. You know, yeah, I, it just I didn't work. It comes out of top there. Yeah, it's a shame. And then, of course, later on in the show, the main event, Brett the Hitman Hart, uh, it says here, dragged a passable match out of Yokozuna on his way to winning the WWF title as the ecstatic 
New York crowd, MSG, celebrated it was the final nail in the coffin of the Lex Express experiment struck home. Finally. Yeah, it was over. That was it. So <laughs> it was a great response to Bret Hart. Of course, they came out, hoisted him on his shoulders. Uh, you know, Macho was there. Roddy was there. Razor, a whole bunch of them. And as for Lex, that was basically it. So the experiment is finished. I believe he moved on to eventually tag team with the British Bulldog, the Allied yeah. Powers, I believe, right? It was, a, it was a long way to get to, to where we were supposed to be. Bret Hart now in the right position. And uh, tried a bunch of other stuff in the media in the meantime, and here we are. We're back where we're supposed to be. And we get to the aftermath of the Lex Express experiment, because we, now we know it's finished. Yeah, that's, that's enough of that. So uh, with the failed attempt at SummerSlam 93, the draw of the Royal Rumble in 94, and the WWF champion now being a hugely popular crowd favorite, finally, Luger's WWF main event days were over. Despite his major push, Lex Luger never won a singles title in WWF. I don't think he won a tag title no. either. No, no title in the WBF. <laughs> had the WBF gone on. Clean sweep. It. Yeah, he just didn't really achieve much success there. Crown. Very short Intercontinental, run. Intercontinental WBF champion. Uh, was it down to Luger's lack of charisma or was it his unwillingness to throw himself into the role? Perhaps it was McMahon's hesitance to pull the trigger after all of the promotion he gave Luger. Lasting only another year with the company, Luger returned to WCW in a big surprise on the first ever episode of Monday Nitro, taking a hefty pay cut in the process. What is he doing here? What is he doing here? That was probably all of America, right? He probably had no idea that he was in like he was in one of the biggest wrestling movements of all time on that very day. He was creating history. It was incredible. When you go back and watch it, it the significance is still never lost on me. The fact that he all of a sudden appears. And it's not as though he's just some guy there. That was his previous home. And it started to show that, yes, the battle is real. And especially in retrospect, that being Nitro's entire gimmick, taking yeah. taking guys from their competition. And, and they started right off the hop with Luger. Poor Sting, Who didn't even know until like the week of, right? Yeah, that's true. And actually, it was Sting that negotiated that. And to that point, he did take a pay cut. Eric Bischoff kind of criticized the move years later. But then he would know this guy actually overperformed. For what I paid him. Wow, that's that's that that's high praise from Bischoff. Yeah, and you, usually you're taking a you're going the opposite. You're not getting a pay cut going to WCW. You're getting a pay raise. So yeah, so I, I think that, they that paid him later. Well. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. That comes later. All right. Well, speaking with WWE.com, twenty years later, Lex Luger opened up about his feelings about the Lex, Lex Express and this time of his career. Lex says it was a great opportunity. Obviously, you don't look forward to being on the road for six weeks away from your family, but it was handled in a great way. He always seems so appreciative. Like <laughs> uh, I was called into the office to meet with Mr. McMahon, which he doesn't do very often. I walked in as the narcissist, and I walked out 20 minutes later as the red, white, and blue good guy. How does that happen? Thank you. Thanks again. Uh, I looked at Vince and said, Vince, I know you're really good at this, but how does a guy that's been posing in mirrors as the narcissist turn into an all-American good guy in one clean swoop? He said, Lex, trust me. The people are going to love it. And they did. And it worked for a bit. No, it's true. And Lex had the following to say regarding his transformation from the narcissist into the American hero. I was supposed to fly uh, in on a helicopter in my red, white, and blue shirt and blue jeans and cowboy boots and save the day. They had us stand by down the Hudson River as the helicopter pad with this guy that was a Vietnam helicopter pilot. Ooh, hopefully he was 
know, in this mood here. And we just jumped in the helicopter. I wasn't even strapped in. And you actually see that too when he lands and you think, this is kind of unsafe. At least it felt that way to me. <laughs> uh, that didn't occur to me. But, yeah, uh, so the helicopter uh, river was right there. Yeah, it's true. I mean, at least you go for a little dive there. I don't believe it's the cleanest body of water, but the helicopter pilot kind of wanted to show off to me. I was afraid I was going to fall into the Hudson River, said Lex, and I was holding on for dear life. It was kind of nerve wracking to think that this was live. I don't actually know if this was live so much as it was the next day, but it was live in front of the audience that was there, and it was quite a right. bit of an audience. So we didn't have a do over. I was trying to focus on that when I slid into the ring, but the cowboy boots I had wearing on the bottoms, I felt that I was on roller skates on the mat. It had no footing. I was scared to death. That would be the worst. So he actually went on to say, you ever see those cartoons with the Roadrunner where they had the refrigerator land on top of Wiley e. Coyote and he's flattened like an ink spot? That's what I pictured as Yokosuna came staggering out of the corner. I looked so excited after he got slammed because I was so relieved. That was a combination of, of relief and excitement. There you go. You can see that. You can see that on his face. But obviously, that's they're they're gearing you up for this. If you slip and slip as you run into the ring, you're going to look like a complete idiot. Ruin your entire push. Yeah. And of course, after signing autographs all over the country on his Lex Express bus and getting some interesting reactions from the crowd, he said there was honking, waving, and someone gave me the one finger salute. Well, of course, it's going to happen from time to time. There's one instance that actually stood out to him. I rewatched this and it's 100% accurate. They wanted to get a photo of me posing with my shirt off in front of Mount Rushmore, which, by the way, I was legitimately scared that he could have fallen off that bus. Okay. There, there, a gust of wind and the total package is a total splat, <laughs> right? But yeah. all of these bikers were out there and they were. Everybody was surrounding the bus, taking photos. They wanted to shake his hand. So they surrounded the bus. We couldn't get me outside because we had, you know, the bus driver and my tour guy. That's all that they had, right? They had no security with them on the bus. So they had me climb out of the fire escape hatch. And they got a picture of me standing on top of the bus in front of Mount Rushmore, hitting a double bicep shot. It was kind of awkward. My wife was actually watching it. She goes, this is uncomfortable. This is weird. But <laughs> he was saying, it's very cool. And, you know, at that point, everybody's just standing around watching him as he's standing in front of Mount Rushmore, just flexing the doubles. A little awkward. It was. It was really weird because he stops there and it's like, okay, this is going to be great. Just get out and pose. He's like, okay, is this good enough? No, keep going. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, here we go. So as we noted earlier, he spent a good amount of time away from his family during this time. And while there were some fun moments, Luger actually admitted there were fun times. I'd rather be at home, sitting poolside, getting a tan, or hanging out with my family for a barbecue. But they kept me busy, which was actually good. We all knew the big picture. It was six weeks to SummerSlam, and then I'd have plenty of time off. Vince told me if I could, you know, if I could take a couple of weeks off back home, so... Basically, I had the carrot dangling at the end of those six weeks. So with that in mind, I would actually think, hey, you know what? If I have those couple of weeks I can take off, those six weeks that I'm on the road, not that big of a deal, right? It, it honestly kind of sounded like he didn't actually care if he won the championship or not. I don't like, think he did. And he kind of says that too, that he wasn't promised that. and like, But he, he really just he was like, let's get this over with. I know I need to do this for my career. But... But you want to win a championship, yeah. though, don't you? I mean, that's the goal of anybody in the business because the earning the championship means theoretically you should get paid the most too. Of course, of course. But he, he kind of seemed like he had other things on his mind, and like mm -hmm. I don't know, he uh, 
it looks like that victory, the the countout victory, was was good enough for him. <laughs> Which is weird because every, you know, I could see people in the back going, "Wow, what a putz! Really, that's all that he wants." <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, as for not winning the championship after the long build up to a WWE title match against Yokozuna at SummerSlam was Luger let down. He says, "I wasn't made any promises. I really wasn't thinking about that at all." I was thrilled to be a part of it. I'll tell you this. I think that Yokozuna was one of the greatest champions ever. Really? I, I think he was great. He was such a good monster. Sure. I don't know if greatest ever, lives. but he, he was very believable for sure. He was, yeah. He he did what he was supposed to do for a couple of years there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he walked into the building and came down the aisle, we used to call him the showstopper. For mm-hmm. me personally, I was honored to be in the main event against him at SummerSlam. Always so respectful, Lex, yeah. at least in your old age. Mm-hmm. Uh, he continued, to this day, people constantly bring it up. The youngsters from then are now in their late 20s and early 30s, and they act like little kids when they talk to me. Man, I saw you at a shopping mall on your Lex Express tour. I definitely had an impact to this day, and it was great to be a part of it. Again, something that we had to miss as Canadians, unfortunately. Yeah, and somebody comes up to him and says, yeah, I was the one giving you the one-finger salute. That was me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. So good to be reunited. There's no Bread Express for Canadians or anything. No, sadly not. No Hitman Express. I could have used a shopping mall tour. You ever meet a wrestler in a mall? No, never. Did you? No. That was a thing to do in the 80s, though, meet famous people in malls. Just at like a comic book store, different them. And actually, uh, Jake Roberts used to say those were his favorite gigs because he would get paid great money just to sit there and autograph. Jake loves his money. <laughs> he does. So some final thoughts here. I have some questions for you, Corey. How would the landscape have changed if Luger had won the WWF World Heavyweight Championship? That's my first question. Uh, I don't think it. I don't think it goes in like too crazy of a different direction. I think we skip the Bob Backlund era, the yeah. rise of Bob Backlund. I don't see Bob Backlund versus Luger doing anything. No. But I think we we probably get we get around a Diesel. Yep. Right. Luger Diesel would be good. Yeah. Especially if you went like the Luger Sean Diesel route. So That's I think true. I think we kind of we kind of get there. I was going to say, what about question number two tied into that, right? Because we mentioned Diesel, we mentioned Sean, but would Brett even decide to stay? Like, we put ourselves in his shoes if he was passed over twice in a row. <laughs> uh, he is a man who cares a lot about respect. Did he want to go to, to WCW at that time? Mm. Was that really it? Did he have, did he have the, the momentum? No. The momentum to go? Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know if... Uh, he probably might stick around and try again. Oh, that would be unfortunate. But yeah, I'm glad that they went with Bret Hart during that time. But how about this? Was the first shot Luger fired in the Monday Night War more important than even winning the title? Historically, I guess, yes. I'm sure. I think I, I think being a champion, especially in the early 90s, probably meant a lot you know, at the time. But historically, of course... That's that's a, we're, we wouldn't be talking uh, with any type of importance to Luger being the champion at that time, but uh, him being the first transfer, I think historically is very important. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that it was huge. Final question for you: mm. If you could change anything with this Lex Express, would you have done anything? And also, maybe a two-parter to that: Why do you think it didn't work? Uh, why do I think it didn't work? Um, I, it sounds like maybe a lack of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vince, uh, you know, ref- referencing a man who died today, Kenny Rogers. Uh, he knew when to fold him, mm-hmm. and he can only try so hard. 
uh, you had Brett right there, so uh, he knew that was Brett was in his back pocket for a long time, and he finally played that card. Yeah. Uh, what would you change about the Lex Express? I don't know. I don't know if I would have ever done the Lex Express. Same. It was always kind of goofy to a degree. Not a big patriot uh, patriotism uh, angle type of guy. I probably would have changed all of it. You? Yeah, I think it was just too rushed. Again, overnight, he's the guy to go into body slam Yokozuna, where previously he was the narcissist. A nice little build, or at least some vignettes would have helped. Even who's it going to be, and you know, start speculating to me, and just to me, I, li- I like that. I like that. That's the one part I like the best is the, yeah. is the switch from heel to baby face. I feel I like the way they did that. A sudden, a sudden swoop. I kind of like that. Sure, and that makes sense. But even from him just going right into the world title picture, really without earning it, when you think about that, that's one of the only problems I had was get some more victories, and then maybe clash with Yoko down the line like in between have some big victories so he becomes that definitive number one contender so now we start to believe maybe he is the guy but instead it was kind of telegraphed to say i body slam him and now i'm going on this lex express tour it's a call to action for me to you know basically share my patriotism of america and why we should believe in it but also i want my title match against yokozuna but in this day and age, and even back then, you had to earn that. You had to defeat top contenders to be that person. Yeah, um, he is. Uh, he, especially back then, this, you know, Brett earned every single thing he did. Shawn Michaels, they really pushed that mm-hmm. he earned every single thing that he did. Yeah, and you're right. Lex just showed up, looked in some mirrors, and and then became this guy. Body slammed Yokozuna, and that's that's what gets you a championship belt. And also one final thing, CM Punk noted this, and I wholeheartedly agreed, that it just felt manufactured. Nobody really fully believed in it because he's sitting there signing autographs, he's on the Lex Express tour, and you think, does he really care that much about it? Not taking anything away from Lex, but it felt as though he was just playing this part. It did not feel real, right? I mean, with most Patriot angles, it often feels manufactured. You know, who's who really wants to be wearing red, white, and blue trunks. Of course. Rep- representing that they just they love their country, and that's what they're all about. But you see Hulk Hogan, and you see John Cena in those shoes, and you know how big they are to fill. It takes such a level of commitment to really move forward with that, and I think that they did a fantastic job, as several others did too, but those two being a couple of the notables, you know, that icon, that clean-cut baby face, but with Lex, it just never felt believable, unfortunately. You're right. Even Hacksaw. Even Hacksaw pulled off the the Patriot. This concludes yet another episode of the Pro Wrestling Stories podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please stick around for future episodes. If you keep supporting us, we'll keep producing episodes as we dive deep into the archives and bring these articles to life in audio form. Listen and subscribe to future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow Pro Wrestling Stories on Facebook at Pro Wrestling Stories and on Twitter, PWS underscore official, and always keep sharing the links to these episodes. It certainly helps with support. From Chris Toplak and Corey Rivard, happy trails to you until we meet again. Bye-bye.